We're going to start a series, as I said, of the 12 apostles on Sunday morning. At night, we'll follow up with 12 ladies. Uh, this morning, the message is entitled, The Apostle Peter. Uh, the 12 apostles, as you know, were chosen, called, and commissioned by Jesus Christ. And having done so, Jesus equally enabled them to accomplish the ministry to which he had called them. God never calls you without enabling you. Um, but make no mistake, they were not men that you and I would have chosen uh, or entrusted them with the gospel. Um, it's amazing how we always think that some people aren't qualified, no matter how qualified they are, because we always think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. It's our fallen nature. That's the way things are. Uh, they were common people, yet made up of the most um, odd mixture. Uh, they were fishermen. Tax collectors, one zealot that was ready to take everybody's head off, whoever would come against um, Israel. Um, and yet, look at the same thing that's happened in your life. Look around this room. If it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ, some of us would never hang out with each other. But what's happened is God has changed our hearts, our worldview. Uh, we come to, when we live in the world, we live in a very small world. We hang out with people that look like us, talk like us, quack like us. And so we stay like us. Um, but you come to the Lord and you realize uh, God's grace and mercy and how uh, much he loves his fallen uh, creation and his mercy to die and to save them and, and to make you new. Never thinking that we don't have the capacity to, till, to still do evil. We do. But we're trusting you to depend on the Lord to continue to transform your heart through the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And so we do that believing by faith that God is able to do that work as we yield. Um, therefore, these disciples, first and foremost, stand as an incredible encouragement to each of us um, to trust Jesus, to make of us what we cannot do in ourselves in order to fulfill the work that he calls us to. You fit somewhere in the body. You're a hand, you're a foot, you're an ear. Um, this hand has never competed with a foot. This uh, index finger has never given a command. Um, they're just what God created them to do. All the commands come from the head, and the same with each and every one of us. Jesus directs and guides, and he gives the orders, and we as the parts of the body carry them out, and we don't worry about what the foot is doing. We just believe God is able to communicate to the foot, and we just do what God calls us to do, and he puts it all together. So the 12 are said to be the foundation in, of the church along with the prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone in Ephesians 2.20. So once again, the head is the one who gives the command. The body carries it out. So what we want to do is begin the series of the apostles with Peter, the most prominent of the 12, and certainly the one that we owe much for our learning, for he is the one who is always asking questions and making mistakes. Um, children learn quickly. Because they're always asking questions. Why? Why? How come? Where are you going? You know, they, they, they're asking questions like, like sponges. They absorb it all. Um, Peter's a doer, willing to move and attempt to um, do and go where others will not. Even when he stepped out and walked on the water at the Lord's bidding. Until um, he got his eyes off the Lord. And then as quickly... He called on the Lord and says, Lord, save me. He just depended on the Lord. All of us are um, unique in that no two of us are the same. Yet the Lord, 
in his um, sovereign knowledge and wisdom, takes each of us as, uh, as we are. And through the process of time, he transforms us more into his image. And so you should be able to look at your life and see how far you've come. Now, uh, you're the best judge of your life if you haven't corrupted yourself or deceived yourself. But you can, you know exactly where you came from. You know what God saved you from. You know how far you've come. And you know if you remain the same way or if you are truly progressing. You know, there's like a lot of teachers that teach. Uh, they say, well, I've taught uh, sixth grade for 30 years. No, you taught the same thing 30 times. You didn't grow. Okay? If you're a teacher or a student, you're growing. You're learning always. Very important. Now, all of us are uh, unique in that no two are alike, and that's the beauty of it. Um, so we don't compare ourselves among ourselves lest we be unwise, as Paul says. And so we pray for each other, we thank God for each other, and we trust that God is working through each of us. But we also know that um, we have a sin nature, and if we want to be carnal, it, it just it, it goes automatically. It's on cruise control. You understand? A and B, spirit, flesh. If you don't walk in the spirit, you will walk in the flesh. There's no C. Now, as we look at these 12 men, um, we're not only going to see how God works to transform sinful man, but also to raise up leaders in the church. God does it every generation, ladies and gentlemen. I was only 23 years old when God saved me, and I came straight out of the world, and um, uh, God has uh, done an incredible thing. I could have never imagined I'd be a pastor, let alone a uh, served him now for 45 years. From the beginning, I was born again. We were in ministry. Um, and then three years after I was born again, I, I, I went into full ministry. Uh, who, who's able to do this? I used to, I used to hear uh, J. Uh, Vernon McGee on the radio say, I've been, in, I've been in the pastorship for 20 years. I go, whoa, 20 years. 45 years. Where did time go? Believe me, I used to have a natural and it was all black. Long time ago. And so, um, the denial of self, the breaking of pride and the uh, spiritual warfare that will be involved in the life of the Spirit is crucial to the process of becoming more effective vessels for God. We don't like heat, we don't like friction, we don't like pressure, but God uses all of that. And so, let's look at Peter through a threefold lens. I'm going to give you three hooks to hang your thoughts on. First, we're going to look at the man Peter. Second, the call of Peter. And thirdly, the ministry of Peter. We began with the man Peter. Now, the name Peter, as you know, in the New Testament, is, uh, uses four different names to identify him. Uh, one that is um, least used in the Hebrew is Simeon, uh, which means hearing appearing only twice for Peter, Acts 15, 14, and 2 Peter 1, 1. The second son of Jacob by Leah was named Simeon. Now, the second name is Simon. About 49 times it's mentioned in the New Testament, and it means hearing. Again, hearing, Peter, okay? Uh, we, we complain, we criticize Peter, but we're much like Peter. Um, what do you tell your kids, parents, all the time? Are you listening? No, they, they, they hear you. They just don't listen. Listen means obey. Hear means they can, they can hear a noise come in. Okay? Uh, it's always in hearing and then obeying. The third is Cephas, the Greek translation of the Aramaic, which means stone. This appears six times. And uh, last of all, Peter, 
which appears 162 times, and it means rock. Um, John uses the double name Simon Peter 15 times. So as you look at the four Gospels, you get a collection of this man, Peter, and his identification. And that's why it's important to compare the Gospels, because they don't contradict, but they supplement material and give you a fuller picture. Now, the meaning of both Cephas and Peter, again, is rock, as we've seen. And when Andrew, his brother, brought Simon to Jesus, he said, You are Simon, Jesus said, the son of Jonah. You should be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. John records this for us in John 1.42. And when we combine the two names, they translate into hearkening stone. Interesting. Jesus told the Pharisees, God was able to raise up children out of these very stones. <laughs> um, we're like Peter, hardheads. Um, but yet, for God to use anybody or anything is not impossible. As you remember in the Old Testament, when Balaam the prophet uh, went to the dark side and he became disobedient and apostate, God used his jackass to speak to him. I presume we qualify. Okay? Um, God is never in any difficulty. Please understand this. Peter would become a rock as he um, yielded to Jesus for life, stable and dependable, but not perfect. Never perfect or sinless. Peter was only a small rock. Petros is his name. In comparison to that massive rock, Petra, Jesus, when he said in John 16, 18, they asked, who do men say that I am? Some John the Baptist, some Elijah, this and that. Who do you say that I am? Lord the Christ, the son of the living God. Upon this rock, Petra, gigantic stone, I will build my church. Your name is Petro, small stone. God help us that Peter is the rock. We'd be in trouble. It's that he's the son of the living God. And so Peter would be transformed from a man of impetuousness to one of discretion. Peter would be taken from being fearful to being fearless. Peter would become less like himself and more like his master. Uh, John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, says, I must decrease, he must increase. That is your epitaph for your life, ladies and gentlemen, and mine. If you increase, that's not good for you, and it certainly is not good for anybody around you. It must be Jesus. You must reckon the old man dead and the old woman dead every day. The father of Peter's his name in two Gospels. Matthew identifies Peter as Simon Bar-Jonah in Matthew 16, 17. Bar means son, son of Jonah. John literally translates it. Uh, Simon, the son of Jonah, in John 1.42. Now, the occupation of Peter is interesting. He was a fisherman by trade, along with his brother James. Uh, Matthew 4.18, we just finished Matthew, and then Mark 1.16. He was um, of Bethesda, which means house of fish, on the Sea of Galilee, a beautiful place, according to John 1.44. Some of you were up there with us in Israel this year. It's beautiful up there in the springtime. And he is, uh, and his brother Andrew, they lived in Capernaum, according to Mark, in Mark 1.21, and also uh, verse 30 in Luke 4.38 also confirms this. Um, he was married. Um, he was not single, so if Peter was the first pope, shame on him, he was married. 
Uh, no, he was not the first pope. Okay? For Peter to be the first pope, he would have to be 350 years old because the first pope came way after Constantine, after 312 A.D. Okay? So there's a big problem with the timeline there. But he was married, and his mother-in-law is mentioned as being sick, and Jesus came and touched her and healed her over high fever in Matthew 8, 14. Um, God gives you the gift of celibacy. It's the exception. All you young men and young ladies, you will, for the most part, be married. God has made you to be married. You will not be able to handle your sexual appetite without being married. Now, if you only get married because you have a sexual appetite, you're going to be in trouble when you get married, okay? Um, but it's a gift of God for you to not have the need to get married. It's the exception, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. It's not the rule. And so, um, Peter and his brother Andrew were partners uh, in the, the fishing business in the Sea of Galilee with James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee, which Jesus calls sons of thunder, um, Luke 5.10. So they weren't in poverty. They weren't wealthy, wealthy, but they were, they were okay. You know, you got some fishing boats, you got people working for you. They're all right, but they're certainly not what many of the positive confession teachers teach, that they were design, wearing designer jeans and everything else. That's reading a lot more into the Bible than is there, okay? Um, he took his wife, by the way, uh, to minister with him, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, 5. Paul is saying, don't, don't I, we have the right to take a, 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 our wives along with us to minister and everything else? Of course he did. And so uh, the character of Peter... Uh, he's impetuous, he's energetic, he's inconsistent, he's forward and rash, he's inquisitive, he's impatient, presumptuous, proud, arrogant. He's just like you, just like me, a sinner, marred by sin, but what potential because of the grace of God. Uh, John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace as he thought upon the words, he said this, quote, by the grace of God, I am what I am, he said. I am not what I ought to be, how imperfect and deficient I am. I am not what I wish to be, though I am not what I ought to be. I can truly say that I am not what I once was, a slave to sin and Satan. I can hardly say with Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's in the positive that you can look at your life and you're not what you used to be. You're better. You've advanced. You're not going backwards. Many people use that scripture for their fail. Well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, God made me this. I am what I am by the grace. No, no, it's not that. That's out of context. It's to the glory of God because of the positive transformation that's going on in your life that you give God the glory. One of the prominent characteristics of God throughout scripture is that he uses some of the most unlikely men and women to do the most miraculous things, such as Moses. I mean, Moses, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 years in court of the Egyptians, and then he sends them back there. Gideon, Peter, certainly fits this category uh, and this mold. Um, no one was more common than any of these men. Uh, Paul 
um, uh, certainly was like that. We'll see him in a little bit. But do you think of the, um, the late pastor Chuck Smith? Uh, one thing he said continuously over the pulpit, I am the most common of all common people. Yet God used him. God used him tremendously. Okay? We're always looking for the secret in the man. It's not in the man. He's just a dirt clod. You put some water, he's a mud ball. We're looking for the glory in the man. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 26 to 29, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of this world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. Everything that comes from your life, ladies and gentlemen, if you're a husband, you're a wife, you know what a creep you are. And when your wife tells you, I love you, it should humble you. And I say, well, what do you expect? <laughs> hmm. An interesting observation in the scriptures is that uh, many times God works by several family members, uh, such as Peter and Andrew, James and John, Mary, Martha, Lazarus. God always desires to use families. I think of myself, my brother, and my sisters, and that. And, but it doesn't mean automatic, and it doesn't mean that uh, he forces people or that God chooses a certain family because he favors them. No, 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 no. Um, God never goes against a person's will. If you're going to be saved, you must say, Lord, I agree with you that I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I need to be forgiven individually. Um, you remember when the Philippian jailer asked, what must he do to be saved? Both Paul and Silas says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 16.31. Now, caution. We must be careful not to teach family salvation, that all that has to happen is one person to be saved and the whole family saved. No, 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 no. It applies to the individual repentance. Now, in those days, the head of the home was more influential, had more authority, more respect, and usually what the head did, the family followed out of respect and honor, and God honored that, and then their hearts need, but it's an individual salvation, okay? Um, Sometimes entire families get born again and they get used of God. And sometimes the whole family comes to God and then three or four fall away. Sometimes on, you know, it's individual, two or three. Um, but that, God's grace. But it all depends on whether you are going to walk with God or not. Um, but we must equally know that God desires uh, to save entire families. And, and he does sometimes. And it's a great joy. Now, one important observation throughout uh, the scriptures is that no one has ever left the same once God comes into their life and cleanses them from their sins. Uh, Paul the Apostle in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and I chose this scripture to put on my dad's tombstone, um, that when a person's a, a, a new creation, all things pass away, everything becomes new. You don't look backwards. You don't drive looking backwards. If you don't believe me, when you leave here, get in your car and try to pull out of the parking lot looking backwards, they're going to crash. Okay, and that's what a lot of people do in Christ. 
They're going forward, looking backwards, so they can't make any advancement. And they're always wishing something could have changed or if it could have been different. And, you know, they, 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 they look in black and white rather than living color. It's, it's not what God would have. And so thank God for his uh, ability to make us new. Uh, this was the man Peter. Incredible, common person. Secondly comes the call of Peter. The time of his call, um, he was a disciple of John the Baptist first, as many of them were. John tells us that Andrew and Peter had come to hear John the Baptist in John 1, 35 through 40. And Andrew at once went and he found Peter and told him they had found the Messiah and brought him to Jesus in John 41 and 42. The location was at uh, Betharabar, uh, beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing there in John 1, 28 through 29. Um, this was their conversion, if you will, uh, the encounter with Jesus. Maybe you remember where you were when you heard the gospel, and, and maybe there was all kinds of people, but it was like God was speaking directly to you. you he was nailing you. He was drawing you, and you had to make a decision. You know, it's interesting, whenever I'm teaching or preaching, somebody say, when's this guy going to shut up so I can leave? And, and, and then others are just so enthralled that the hour just flies. If the hour drags out, it shows the condition of your heart. If it doesn't, it also shows the condition of your heart. It's just the way it is. When, when, you're, when you're having fun, time just flies. It's just the way it is. Now, he was completely committed at Galilee as a disciple of Jesus. Matthew tells us that as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he called Andrew and Peter to follow him, and he would make them fishers of men as they were casting out their nets, so in the very process of their job there. And immediately they left their nets and followed him, Matthew four eighteen through 22 tells us. Mark tells us the very same thing, and that's the beauty of comparing Scripture, Mark 1, 16 and 18. That it wasn't a collusion. We all understand the word collusion now. It's been going on for a year and a half. Um, they're independent authors. And they add supplementary material or confirmation uh, uh, to prove the inerrancy and infallibility of the word of God. Um, Jesus teaching on the difficulty of rich men and entering the kingdom. You remember Peter replies, see, we have left all to follow you, Mark 10, 28. I mean, they left all. I remember myself and my brother, when we first came to the Lord, we used to teach the martial arts, Kung Fu. We had our Kung Fu studios and everything, and God just saved us. And, 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 and slowly but surely, God just took care of it. And God, you know, we never envisioned anything, though. We, we didn't know. God does it. Luke tells us that Jesus got into Peter's boat and to speak to the people in Luke 5, 1 through 11. And Jesus told Peter to launch out into the deep and let his net down. Uh, Peter being polite, he's a professional fisherman, done all his life. And they had toiled all night, he told them. He said, but nevertheless, I'll humor you, I'll, I'll let my net down. And so Peter, uh, to his amazement, caught a great catch of fish and he called for uh, James and John 
and they filled their bowls, and their bowls began to sink. <laughs> you think they, they were pulling that net, looking at Jesus? Who is this guy? He kept telling them who he was. Hmm. Peter, sensing his sinfulness at this time, he fell at the feet of Jesus and says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In verse 8 of Luke 5. Wow. That's the position that you must come to and remain or you're dead. If you're not fully, completely convinced that you are a sinful man or woman, Jesus can do nothing for you. Absolutely nothing. Wow. Jesus then said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Verse 10. That's great. <laughs> the nature of his call was to be a disciple of Jesus. The word disciple, as you know, means a learner, a pupil. Uh, what he was to do for the rest of his life. If you're a Christian, you will have to study and be a student of the Word of God for the rest of your life. It's like eating. If you don't eat, you become anemic. And then, if you keep it up, you'll die. You must feed yourself. The word disciple appears 268 times in the New Testament. Of the 268 times, 238 appear in the four Gospels. It's key. The remaining 30 times is in the book of Acts, and it does not appear in any of the epistles. Now, the word describes a person who submits to and is devoted as a follower of a person, philosophy, or both. Um, they often sacrifice much to ensure the goal of learning. You have people who go off to follow some guru in India, you know, and lawyers and judges and the guy up in Oregon in the 80s, you know, lawyers, judges would go up there, give everything, their Mercedes, everything else. Um, the, the highest privilege they thought would be for them to drink his urine or to eat his excrement. These guys aren't stupid. They're lawyers. They're judges. It's called deception. If you reject the truth, you'll be amazed for the lies that you will fall for. Amazing. But you have to dummy down a society first for it to take hold in extreme ways. They at times deny personal desires and comforts at the request of the teacher. And if admired and thought worthy, they will do it. A young girl gives herself her purity away because she idolizes that young man, thinks he's worth it. It's called idolatry. Everybody does on different levels, ladies and gentlemen. They often take to themselves close characteristics and mannerisms of their teachers. I remember when I first came to the Lord, there was a pastor... Uh, one of the Calvaries, and this assistant, when you saw the pastor and you saw the, the assistant look like him, talk like him, move like him, oh my Lord, it was sickening. Now, if you do that towards Jesus, you're going to do just fine. 
just fine. They often build much of their philosophy of life, if not their entire hope of life, on the person they are learning from. This was Peter. We have a lot of bad examples like Jim Jones, David Koresh, and many others. In fact, we had a young lady when the church first started in Alhambra in the 80s that was um, her sister and mother both died in, in, um, over with Jim Jones in, down there in South America through the deception. Amazing. Now, the man Peter was a disciple that asked questions all the time. Um, I'm sure that the, the other 11 said, shut up, Peter. Well, you know how it is. They, they, were, they were just common people. You think it was they were walking down the road, they weren't slapping each other, tripping each other, and pulling pranks on each other? Of course they were. No other name comes up more often apart from the Lord's um, name in the gospel than Peter. No disciple speaks more often than Peter. The Lord speaks more times to Peter than any other disciple. No other disciple is reproved more than Peter by the Lord. No other disciple dared to reprove our Lord except Peter. No other disciple intruded, interfered, and tempted our Lord more than Peter. No other disciple was as hasty, impulsive, impertinent, inconsistent, energetic, and confident, but neither was there any other as quick to repent and to turn back to the Lord with childlike faith as Peter. No other disciple was more aware of his sinfulness, as we've noted, than Peter when he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. No other one of the twelve had as strong a personality, nor was as willful and impulsive that could have resulted in many life problems for Peter and perhaps even destructive if he had not followed the Lord as a disciple of Christ. But even in Christ, God covers us in some of our mistakes, but even in Christ, we can do some things that once they're done, they're done, and we have to live with the baggage. We have to live with the consequences. The grace is sufficient, but we have to own up to the consequences, ladies and gentlemen. Things do not go away, and you have to be honest about that. Now, the man Peter had special privileges that uh, were not granted to the other disciples, as you know. Uh, Peter, along with James and John, was present at the raising of Jairus' daughter in Mark five thirty-seven. Peter was given revelation directly from the Father, as we saw already in Matthew sixteen sixteen. You're the Christ, Son of the living God. Prophetic of the preaching at Pentecost, he says, and your name is Peter, and upon he says, and so you will be given the keys of the kingdom. And so three thousand were saved on the day of Pentecost. Peter, along with the same two, saw Jesus transfigured, speaking to Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew seventeen, one through five. Peter was told to go and to take a coin from the fish's mouth to pay tribute tax. In Matthew seventeen, twenty-four, high privilege that Peter had. The man Peter had great pride. Though. He rebuked Jesus because Jesus declared he was going to Jerusalem and die. Jesus rebuked him. He says, "Get thee behind me, Satan! You do not discern the things of God." Matthew sixteen, twenty-three. 
No one, no one was called that by our Lord except for Peter. Strong personality. He declared to Jesus he was different from all the other 11. He would never deny him. In fact, he would lay down his life in Mark 14, 30 to 31. Hmm. Have you ever said, I'm never going to do that again? Better yet, you're single and you're at a restaurant and you see these moms with their little kids. Uh, my kid, I'll slap him right now. Wait till you're a parent. We have such confidence in ourselves that it's very, very scary. He was crushed. When his eye caught the eye of Jesus as he denied him three times in the courtyard. Wow. For the third time, causing him to weep and go up bitterly in Luke 22, 61 to 62. Highs and lows, difficult times. He was recommissioned with a threefold question. Jesus says, asked him if he um, if he loved Jesus three times, he reminded him of his pride as well as his promise and assurance that he would never deny Jesus. And yet three times he asked him to assure him that his forgiveness was there. John 21, 15 through 17. Sometimes people or yourself or Satan will come to you about your past and you must remember what Jesus said. That you are clean by the words that he has spoken unto you. That you're a new creature. What are you doing in the trash can? What are you doing in the sewer? He has buried your sins in the deepest ocean and cast them as far as east and the west. Wow. The goal of his call was to be an apostle. He begins as a disciple, a learner, a student. The physician Luke tells us that after an entire night in prayer, we've seen already that Jesus chose the 12 disciples to be apostles in Luke 6, 12 through 16. The word apostle means to be sent out, apple, away from, and stello to send. The word is descriptive of their office. Uh, apostles are the first on the list of those Jesus gave to the church in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight and Ephesians four eleven. The call of the twelve was unique and they had no succession being said to be the foundational instrument in teaching the gospel and doctrine to the church in Ephesians 2.20. I say that because there are many today who want to claim the title of prophets and apostles. There is no apostles or prophets as in the Old or the New Testament today. In the sense that we go out or you're sent out, yes, but not in the context of the Old or New Testament period, okay? They do this to try to claim some kind of authority over you or to make you think that they're more spiritual than you. But they're just as carnal as you if they don't walk in the Spirit. Be careful, okay? Um, everybody puts on their pants one leg at a time and when they shower, they don't fill up the tub and stand on the water, okay? So let's be clear about this. The word um, 
became a technical term for an ambassador of a country or king communicating his office and delegated authority to um, act on behalf of the one who was sending him and is used like that in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.20, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent an ambassador goes to China or to Mexico, and when he does something, he's representing not himself, but the country he's coming from. If he does something stupid, the country, the nation gets the black eye. We are ambassadors for Christ, ladies and gentlemen. And these are the two ways that is used, ambassador and being sent out. A messenger, an ambassador of Christ in 1 Corinthians 9.1 and Galatians 1.1. And a messenger, an ambassador, also in Philippians 2.25. Now, the word apostle is used in a variety of categories. Um, there were the 12 apostles that Jesus chose, as we said, in Luke 6.12-13 after an entire night in prayer. Um, their requirement was twofold, by the way. It is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. They had to be present with Jesus from his baptism and to have seen him and been with him until the time he was taken up to heaven for the Mount of Olives. So those two requirements were absolutely essential for to be one of the 12 apostles. If you look at Matthias that they chose, he qualified that, okay? Paul was not. Paul was not from the baptism, and he didn't see Jesus Ascend. Though he did see Jesus in the road to Emmaus, he never made those qualifications. So Paul was not the 12 apostle. In fact, in chapter 4, when you read next, it says, the 12 got together. Okay? So Paul was not the 12. The scriptures deny that. Now, so there's the original 12. There was also the 70 other that were sent out two by two in Luke chapter 10, verse 1. And there were the apostles after Jesus ascended, such as Barnabas, Epaphroditus, Apollos, Silvanus, Adronicus, and Junia, and others. Romans um, 16.7 gives you a list, and 1 Corinthians 8.23. Um, but there are no more once the canon was sealed and put together. By 95, John is the last one who writes the last book, his gospel, the book of Revelation. Um, the man Peter is a disciple and apostle that stands at the top of the 12. Four times the list appears, and every time Peter is the first in Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, and Acts chapter 1. All four lists. The only other one which is, that is true of is Judas Iscariot. He's always on the same order, okay? And he's the one who betrayed the Lord. Um, the names of the others vary in many respects, but the groupings are the same in all four lists. They are coupled or grouped in fours. The first of each group seems to be the leader for each group, therefore each group having intimate, close fellowship. The truth about leadership and discipling is that not all are going to have the same type of closeness or intimacy. It is impossible to be so with all, even as Jesus spent more time with the first four and even closer with the first three. Now think about it. Are you going to blame Jesus of having favorites? No. He's making the decision based on his wisdom, his understanding, his knowledge, and his goals. And the same with you. You have to make decision 
who you make priorities in your life, who you spend time more. You want to make sure they're godly people, the ones God's directing, the ones that's best for your children, for you, for your husband, everything else, right? There's even some people that are family members. We don't want to spend time with them, okay? And there's some people in the family of God that we choose not to, okay? Just the way it is. You have to make a decision and discretion and wisdom of God what God is directing you. You just have to make sure that you're not being prudish and having a respect for a person because they have money or because they have this or they have that. That's our carnality. And we're responsible for that. Now, the context of Matthew is having told them to pray for the harvest. And after an entire night in prayer, the Lord chose the twelve and then told them to go out to the harvest in, uh, in Matthew 10, 6, and 7. That's the context of Matthew. No longer to go back to their old fishing jobs, the secular jobs. No longer bound to their own choosing. God has clearly made it known to them. Now, it doesn't mean they don't have the capacity to go back. It means they made the decision not to go back, okay? Anybody here think they don't have a capacity to sin? Please stand up so I can laugh. You can sin. In fact, we do sin sometimes on purpose. All right? But that's not where we live, okay? But we have the potential. We have to be careful. There was a fourfold process. Jesus converted them. Jesus called them. Jesus commissioned them. And Jesus would commission them after the resurrection by the Holy Spirit. I call them the dirty dozen, a motley crew. Just like you and I. No different. The late Billy Graham commented one day that uh, he knew that he was not God's first choice. Many people don't know this. But uh, a Canadian, he knew, had not answered the call. He knew. You see, God's not biting his nails. He's on the throne. And if you say no, God will get somebody else. Wow. Perspective. God knows the individuals he will call and use for all eternity. God told Jeremiah, I knew you before you were in your mother's womb, Jeremiah 1.5. Amazing. Every person who is called to ministry has a response either it'll be acceptance or rejection either to follow Jesus or not if he calls you to ministry full time there'll come a point where you'll abandon your livelihood God will take you a step at a time you don't just quit you let God open those doors that God's in it it's important Paul put it this way Paul on Damascus Road was converted as you know and, and, and he knew his calling from the Lord. And he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? Acts 9, 6. And then God did his Lord of time. But I mean, Paul was public enemy number one to the church. He killed Christians. He imprisoned Christians. He just gave them a hard day, causing them to blaspheme. And all of a sudden, now he's public enemy number one towards Judaism. Wow. Complete turnaround. Not everyone who is called the ministry responds in obedience. Some do not respond. 
So God chooses others. God will call another. Some begin and don't finish. Paul told Timothy, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Second Timothy 2.21 There's a choice. Always has a choice. Be careful of the philosophy of Calvinism that if you're predestined, you'll be in heaven no matter what. Really? Wow. You have a free will to the very end, ladies and gentlemen. God in Isaiah 5 says, you know, I, I, I to talking to Israel, I, you're my vineyard, you know, I put a hedge around, I fertilized you, I watered you, I did everything. And then he says, and I was expecting some big, nice, juicy grapes, but I got wild grapes. And he says, what else could I have done? Well, if God decreed them to be his people, they shouldn't fail, right? I don't think so. Fungus among us. Always. Bunyan said there's a door to heaven, one step from heaven's gate. Read John 15, the words of Jesus to the dirty dozen. <laughs> Very interesting. Yet every one of us who is born again, when we're called, we're called to serve. Somewhere in the body, he enables you through the gifts of the Spirit, through the power of the Spirit. You fit somewhere in the body for the edification of the body of Christ. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Ephesians chapter 4, the purpose of the church to perfect the saints, the work of ministry, that you might edify the body in love completely. Uh, you're not for yourself. This hand here has never served itself. I've known it for uh, 68 years. This hand has never served itself. It has served the rest of the body, and it's never complained. Better yet, my feet. They spent most of their time in darkness. They've never complained. Ever. This was the call of Peter. Notice third and last year we have the ministry of Peter. Uh, Peter was to be a shepherd of the flock, according to Jesus in, in John 21, verse 1 through 23, key chapter, the shepherd describes here his responsibility to feed and to care for the flock, to protect the flock of God. Peter had denied his Lord, as we've seen, and returned to his old profession of fishing um, there in uh, John 21. And um, they had been fishing all night, and they caught nothing. The Lord was on the shore and told him to cast their net on the other side. Peter, hearing from John that it was the Lord speaking from the shore, he plunged into the water and he went to the shore. And Peter then dragged the net filled with fish, but the net did not break as the first time in Luke 5, 6 or 7. Because he's resurrected, now he enables you to draw in the harvest. He does the work. You will be shocked what God can do through you. So stay away from the glory of God. And people come and say, oh, you know, Pastor, you're just, I tell you what, you're there. there. I say, isn't God good? I, I don't even get a second thought. Isn't God good? What can I do for you? Can I pray for you? I don't even want to listen to that. You listen to the press too much of people about you, how good you are. Be careful. Be careful. Peter was recommissioned by Jesus and 
return to his first love there in um, um, John 21, 15 through 23. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he loved him by the name Simon, not Peter. The Lord asked him the first time, do you love me more than these? The word love is agape, God's divine love. The reference could be to the boats, the fish, or the disciples. What do you think it is? Of course it's the disciples, because Peter says, Lord, these guys, they're, they're second class. Me? You can always count on me. Okay. Peter used the word phileo, not agape. And Jesus simply commissions him, feed my lambs, the young and tender. We are here, ladies and gentlemen, not to rule you, not to tell you how to live. We're here to teach you the word of God and to oversee, make sure nobody comes in to fleece you or to try to corrupt you. It's our responsibility. And pray that God would just continue to direct and guide you. The word feed means to pastor, to graze. You must feed yourself and sit under teachers to feed you. It's important. The Lord Jesus commissioned the man Simon for the second time, telling him, tend to my sheep. In John 21, verse 16, the word tender means to tend as a shepherd over older sheep. The shepherd feeds, leads, and protects the sheep. Sheep are not that bright. You ever think about it? God is not politically correct. He tells you what you are. You're sheep. You stink and you're not that bright. That's what he tells me. Now, do I agree with him or not? Now, you may be wise. You may be an engineer. You may be astrophysicist and brilliant in the world. But according to God, concerning spiritual things and how to live life, zero. You must go to him. You must depend upon him. The Lord Jesus addressed Simon the third time in verse 17. The Lord used the word phileo now, this time as he addresses Simon, accepting Peter on the level of his ability and limitation. The man Simon answered Jesus for the third time and was grieved without any doubt. He thought about the threefold denial because this is the third time he asked him. But it wasn't condemnation. It was confirmation that he had forgiven him. Wow. The man Simon answered Jesus in two ways for the third time. Peter addressed Jesus as Lord for the third time. Lord, you know all things. Peter declared that the Lord knew he loved phileo him, an emotional, compatible love. Peter had come to grips with himself as a sinner like any other without any delusions about himself. That's the greatest thing you can come to. The Lord Jesus commissioned the man Simon for the third time by commending him and commanding him to once again feed his sheep repetitious 
The word feed, the same as in verse 15, the pasture to tend to graze. This is what shepherds do. This is what pastors do, ladies and gentlemen. They don't get up here and, and act like they're better than somebody else. They're not supposed to, at least. Um, they're not here to tell jokes and stories. They're not here to just, um, you know, I, I look at some of these, and I don't look at many of the things, but some people bring them to me and stuff like that. But I don't look at websites, but all these pastors, oh, I'm jogging on the beach. Who cares? Gonna, you know, here's my family. Who cares? Do the work of God. What are you, a celebrity? My Lord. They're going to be shocked when they get to heaven. No one's going to be impressed with them. Peter was once sent out as an apostle of God and became a prominent leader in the early churches. You know, he was the spokesman to proclaim the replacement of Judas in Acts chapter 1. He was the spokesman on the day of Pentecost where 3,000 were added and saved in chapter 2 of Acts. He was at the temple uh, and used to heal the layman and in Acts 3 and 4, he was used to administrate the discipline over Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. He went with John to Samaria and he verified the work of the Spirit as they got saved and laid hands on them. They might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and then confronted Simon the sorcerer for his wrong motives in Acts 8. He was sent to the house of Cornelius to bring the Gentiles into the church in Acts 10. And he was a witness to the work of God among the Gentiles. When he got to Jerusalem, he took a couple of Jews because he knew he was in hot water in Acts 11. And he was allowed to be rescued from prison by an angel while James was permitted to be killed with the sword in Acts 12. He was the first to speak at the first church council regarding the Gentiles in Acts 15. And he dominates the first half of Acts till Paul comes on the scene. He calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 1. 1. It is I, Peter, who was the best, number one with Jesus, and I was the only one. No, no, no. Simple. An apostle of Jesus Christ. Wow. Peter instructed others on how to be shepherds. In 1 Peter 5, 2, he instructs, uh, from the shepherd's perspective, he, he tells them to shepherd the flock of God. And the shepherd, once again, to feed, to tend, to protect. Peter takes the consideration of various levels, sheep and, and the flock and the elders. You have uh, young people, you have uh, young adults, and you have the older ones. Lance and sheep are very defensive. They're very dumb. If they turn around don't see the flock, they think they're lost, right? Um, uh, Peter says that they are... Um, to serve as overseers. The sheep do not belong to the shepherd. You do not belong to me. You belong to the Lord. Yet I'm responsible for you if you come and sit and grow. The instructions are from personal example also. Not just academic teaching. Uh, but personal example there in First Peter 5, 2-3. Not by constraint or, or, or but willingly. In other words, you're not forced to come here. And it's not by any constraint over your life uh, the motive is uh, to serve is honestly not for gain but eagerly by the call and so the motive should never be money money has corrupted the church it still does and the majority of christian programs on tv and churches they beg 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 okay pride and you have money and you have women 
And if you're proud, you're going to need women. And if you need women, you're going to need money. I mean, it's just the way it is. Okay? It's like a piggy bank. It's just a little choo-choo train. Gets hooked up. Uh, not being lords over uh, and, uh, those entrusted to you. In other words, you're just like them. I am like just like you. I'm a sinner just like you. I got saved the same way. We're no different. Different calling, different gifts, but we're the same. Um, you're to be more like your master. And the call certifies Peter's compensation in, in verse 4 of First Peter 5. Jesus, the chief shepherd, he will appear again. And at his coming, he will reward. He will give those crowns, uh, uh, like in the Olympic Games, according to the motive of our heart, what we did, how we did it, what we did it out of love for Jesus and for people, in obedience to the call. The faithfulness of Peter was still uh, to be until death, and he would do so. And you remember that uh, Jesus prophesied that when he's old, he was going to be martyred. And Peter says, what about John? To which Jesus said, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? Follow me. John twenty two twenty two, and a rumor began to say that John was not going to die until the Lord's return. Who started that? Peter did. The Bible is very real. And so, um, quite a man, Peter. Moody was credited with speaking for, to 100 million people about spiritual matters. Not a high school graduate himself. He founded a vast educational system that among many accomplishments has turned out one of uh, 10... American Protestant missionaries. Amazing man. God did that through him. So we are to put this mind of Christ that he didn't think of robbery to be equal with God. He emptied himself of his glory, not his deity, and he took on the form of a servant and he became humble and he washed feet and he died. Wow. He's our example. How are we doing? Hmm. God very clearly condemns the idle shepherd who feed themselves not the flock, Ezekiel 34. There are too many shepherds today, and the reason our nation is in the shape it's in is because shepherds have not fed the flock of God. Christianity has gone liberal. The emergent church is the greatest enemy against Christianity today. If the Lord tarries, there'll be another movement, okay? And people, shepherds are not feeding the flock of God. They're entertaining them, telling them jokes, everything else, but they're not feeding them. They're deceiving them. The various... Um, notoriety and level that the shepherd as a person is used of God, um, God will make him accountable according to his gifts. One day I will have to give an account for everything I ever did and said. To those that much is given, much more is required. Luke twelve forty eight. It's the way it is. You're a parent. You know that with your child. You hold the oldest one more accountable, right? He's been with you the longest. The true shepherd of a flock that God has given to him will be like his master. He will be sinful like any other person. He will be frail. He will be just like anybody else, but he doesn't practice sin, just like you should not be practicing sin. But he's a man just like you. Never exalt a man. I'm only up a little higher so you can see me. Okay? That's the only reason. All right? It's just simple. Jesus put it this way. Let me close with these two quotes. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sends him. John thirteen sixteen. Good advice. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Luke six forty. That's for you. That's for me, ladies and gentlemen. This was the ministry of Peter. And so the apostle Peter... 
through the threefold ends, the man Peter, the call of Peter, and the ministry of Peter, gives a good perspective of this man. And the total conclusion when you study him, he's just like me. What potential God has for you all depends upon you yielding to him, just as Peter. Lord, thank you for your grace, your loving goodness. We love you. We thank you. Pray for all of us, Lord, that we be obedient to you. You continue to use us. And Lord, we would never limit you in any way. And so, Lord, I pray for those that are present and those over the radio and those on the Internet that you would just deal with their hearts. If you're out there, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Only you can make that decision. He died for you. He paid the price. He tasted death for every person. And he alone can forgive you and make a new creation of you. It takes repentance. You're acknowledging that you're a sinful man like Peter said. And that you need forgiveness of your sin for him to transform your heart. If this is you, then this is a prayer of repentance that you can make right now. And Jesus is going to forgive you, cleanse you, and make you a child of God by grace through faith right now. This is your prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. Amen.